If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Romans 10, 8, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you, God. We love you, God. Help us to truly learn of you, to focus on you, to rest our hearts in you, God. Speak to us and speak clearly, God. Give us understanding that we may live and know for true who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. We're continuing down the same vein we've been on, talking about salvation and what it means to be saved. And last week we talked about who could be saved. That Christ came to save the lost. He came to save the sinners. That those who confess, those who believe, those who call upon the name of the Lord are the ones who be saved. The ones who are in affliction, those who mourn, even the simple, those are the ones who Christ came to save. But in verse 8 of chapter 9, going to verse of chapter 10, it says, But what saith it? Talking about the scriptures. said, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now this is one of the evangelistic altar call scriptures. But Paul is here painting a picture of redemption for Israel. And when he opened this, he, 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 he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting Moses. And when he said, what saith it? Talking about the scriptures. Like, you don't have to ascend on high to get salvation, to get the word, to bring it down. You don't have to descend to the depths. But the word, the word that brings liberation, the word that brings salvation, he says, right there next to you. It's in your mouth, even in your heart. Therefore, if you confess... If you believe, you shall be saved because God has implanted the word inside of you. And it is your coming to agreement with that word. It is your trusting in what it is that God has done, what God has placed it inside of you that brings salvation. And so we're going to run through this series to try to get our mind into agreement and get our hearts to align with what it is that God has said. But the question early on in my faith when I heard a guy talking about this, when I read it, he says, if you believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And the obvious question that we get is, saved from what? And that's what we're going to try to answer. Saved from what? And the reason this question is significant is because save, salvation, is one of those words that has picked up connotation and weight without definition what i mean by that is like just to give you an example i was out on the street one night i can't remember where we were that was at alabama state and this guy he was talking about his friend like his friend confessed christ and he believed in jesus but he was a homosexual and he was that, that perplexed him it's like man and he kept making this statement I saw him get saved. 
we go on, we're talking on, and he kept coming back to that. I tried to explain to him the scriptures and the power of God and what salvation truly is. But he'd go back and say, I saw him get saved. And I was a little slow, which I can be at sometimes. Well, it took him saying about three, four times before I stopped and say, what do you mean you saw him get saved? And when he responded, his response was, he saw him walk down to the front of the church and the people prayed over him and him said a prayer. It's like, hold up. So that's what you mean when you say you saw him get saved. And so he had no understanding of salvation apart from walking up to the front of the church and repeating after a preacher. That's what it means to be saved. So when we come to the full meaning of saved for what? He can't answer that question. So that's what we're going to try to answer that question. Saved from what? Go to First Timothy, Second Timothy. We're going to expand on our definition from last week a little bit. Second Timothy chapter 4. Verse 16. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. And this is Paul speaking. He says, at my first answer, no man stood with me. But all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. So this is Paul talking about when he was questioned and in prison. So at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray that pray God that it not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding in verse 17, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preacher might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is Paul. He's talking about his captivity. And this is the picture. I want you to get it, to understand. We just introduce new definition as we go forward. People ready to kill Paul. He's been captured. And he's saying when he stood to give an answer, to testify of what it was that he was being held captive for, he said, everybody forsook me. So they left him alone. They were rolling with Paul. They was deep. Then when Paul got to preaching, the folks started going to prison and getting beat up. They're like, no, dog, I ain't with that. So everybody left Paul. And he said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So Paul ain't had nobody but God with him. And he said, the reason is that by me, the preacher might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. Then he quotes the Old Testament here. He said, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now that word delivered is the word we're going to introduce. It means to be rescued or brought to oneself. So he said he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. That word delivered means to be rescued or brought to oneself. So we're saying God took me from the trouble I was in and brought me to himself. I was rescued. That's what he mean by delivered. And watch this. In verse 18, he brings it up again. He said, and the Lord shall deliver me. So in that time of captivity, in that time of trouble, God did deliver him. And he says, future, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto the heavenly kingdom. So he said, the Lord shall deliver me and the Lord will preserve me. 
And in this one in the scripture, this is what the deep folks call a parallelism. It's a way of saying the same thing twice, but in a different way. So he's making parallel statements. He said, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. So God is going to bring me out of every evil work. He's going to rescue me. And he will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. He's showing you different sides of the same coin. He's making the same statement twice. But in this, he used two different words. To deliver and to preserve. That word preserve is the word we talked about last week. The sozo. To keep. To hold up. To to deliver. In the other word, deliver is to rescue. So he's going to rescue me, bring me unto himself, and he's going to keep me with him unto the heavenly kingdom. So in the mind of Paul, these two words are parallel. To rescue and to preserve. And if you go back, we're not going to do it now, to Psalms 22. That's what he quote when he said, the Lord delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. In the Greek translation of that word, Paul changes the word. Because in the old Greek version of that Old Testament, way back like in 300 some, the Hebrews, they made a Greek Bible because they, oh, they started speaking Greek. It's called a Septuagint. Some of you might see it at the bottom of your thing. You see that LXX. That's what it referenced to. And what he's saying is to deliver and to save the sozo are one and the same in the mind of Paul. So when we're talking about being saved, we're talking about being healed, we're talking about being preserved, and we're talking about being rescued. And keep in mind, this idea of being rescued is taken out of danger and brought to oneself. So when somebody delivers you, they take you to themselves, they grab you up, they snatch you up. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And this is the picture we need to have in mind when we think about what it is that God is saving, or what it is that God is doing when he saves us. And so the question becomes, save us from what? Now we get a picture here. Paul makes a, 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 a bold statement that is often overlooked. He said, God shall deliver me from every evil work. That, that's, that's a bit deep. He said, every evil work God shall deliver me from. Now what makes it so deep is in the context, Paul is talking about folks coming after him, imprisoning him, trying to kill him. And he makes the statement, I'm going to be delivered from every evil work. Now, when we first read this, the thing that pops into our mind, if you pay close attention to the context, is that Paul was talking about that God wasn't going to let them folk kill him. Because that's the evil work that was going on. They was imprisoning him, beating, stoning, and all that different type of things that Paul was going through. So when he said every evil work, that's what it seemed like he's talking about. But Paul is a, is a complex man because he makes this statement, but elsewhere he gives us testimony that what happened to him? They, took, they put him in prison, that he was hungry, he was cold. This dude got homeboy coming to see him. He ain't asked for no money on his books. He said, hey man, y'all bring me a coat. <laughs> so Paul was, in, he, he was in, a, in a bad situation, like bring me a coat in, some, in the books. So Paul wanted to read and get warm. He talked about how many times the shipwreck he went through, how many times he was beaten, how many times he was almost left for dead. This is the dude who had to put put down in a basket and let outside of the kingdom so the folk wouldn't kill him. 
This dude had people took a vow that they weren't going to eat until he was dead. He went through some hard times. And he bragged and boasted on these hard times. So whatever his understanding of God shall deliver me from every evil work, he cannot mean that folks ain't going to beat me up because he'll be lying. That's what happened to him. And even in this, Paul is telling you, everybody left me alone. I was by myself having to stand up and give an answer for me. So there is a dual meaning to his statement. And what I mean by that is there's a sense in which he is talking about his present condition. That God shall deliver me from every evil work. Peter refers to it that we shall not suffer as an evildoer. And so what the, the, the connotation is, is that hard times going to come. People are going to mistreat us. That's a part of life. But we will never be because of our evil. We will never be getting our comeuppance. But it will be for the sake of the gospel. And in that deliverance, Paul expands it to, I'm going to be delivered from every evil work. And I'm going to be kept unto his kingdom. So no matter what it is that comes on me, no matter what it is that I'm going through, I'm going to be in a position where this will not take me away from the kingdom of God. That no matter what the evil I put that, that comes into my life, no matter what the hardship that comes into my life, whether it be physically, whether it be spiritually, it shall not take me away from the kingdom of God. That's the confidence that he has. So God going to deliver me, keep me from everything that may keep me from him. So that's why he said deliver and preserve. So if I'm going through a hard time, it's not going to be so hard that I can't stand it. Because God going to take me out of it and I'm going to be preserved and kept unto his kingdom. This is the picture that we have. So we have promises that God has given us that he going to keep us. He going to preserve us from every evil work. The evil of men, the evil of spirits, the evil of life. And none of those things will destroy us because God going to keep us. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And this is a part of our hope. This is a part of our salvation. So what if you're strong? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes folks hear the words that life is hard. And it is. And the amazing thing is most of us soft. <laughs> life is hard, but we soft. How can we endure? Because we have a promise. That no matter how hard life get, God will deliver you out of every evil work and going to preserve you unto his kingdom. So let life be hard, but you're going to make it. That's a part of our hope. And we can have that same confidence that Paul had. And if we be honest with ourselves, most of us ain't going through what he went through. This brother went through a hard time. Why? Just because he wanted to preach. Then we get mad because folk don't call us back. He ain't answer my text message. <laughs> that dude got abandoned, man. <laughs> Straight left alone. Ready to he ride with these dudes. He done brought them. Little hard time come. What, what y'all out there doing? He turned around and everybody gone. <laughs> so when you ever been through that? 
when your life on the line, you got to give an answer, and you turn around, Jay and Ebony just <laughs> said the dip don't you like, golly, man. <laughs> See, just like that. <laughs> but we ain't never been through that. So if he can make it through that, that had, what he went through and had that confidence, I think we can deal with folks, I'm saying, talking bad about us and not liking us and trying to get our job. They just trying to jealous because I got promoted. Man. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three. We're going to start at verse 11. What are we saved from? Now, this one here is going to be a little complex. We're going to add a little something to it, make it make a little more sense. Start at verse 9. Start at verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. It says, For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, and you are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another builded thereon, but every, every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work. So this is Paul talking about, the building or the building of the people. What was going on in here is in the Corinthian church, they had debate. Some people was talking about, I'm down with Paul, or like I'm down with Peter, I'm, I'm down with Apollos. And it was, they was debating. They had they preacher debates going on. And this is Paul's response. He's like, we all are God's workmen. You are the husbandry. What do you mean like that? You God's garden. God is building this thing. You are his building. And the original foundation has been laid. There can't nobody else lay another foundation. And so everybody that comes into your life after this foundation is laid is building on top of that. And the point is, whether it's Peter, whether it's Apollos, whether it's Justin, it don't matter who it is. They're building on what Christ has already laid. He is the foundation. And every man that comes after that, he said their work's going to be tried as by fire. So he's talking about there's judgment that's going to come to every man's work and it shall be made manifest. So God at the end, after we do all our work and after everything is done, said God going to let set that thing on fire to show what it is. Whether it's silver, gold, wood, hay, or stubble, God is going to try every man's work. He's going to test it at the end. In verse 14, said, if any man's work abide which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This is deep. So what is Paul is saying is that there's coming a day where God is going to judge all of our works. And if your work be burned up, meaning it ain't no good, he said you're going to suffer loss, but you shall be saved, yet as by fire. So God is going to deliver us in the judgment or from the judgment, even though we may suffer loss. And the question that a lot of people have about this verse, and it gets a little confusing to people on debate, 
And some people use this to teach that once you save, you always save. Paul said your work going to be burnt up, but you're going to be saved. The works that he's talking about here that is going to be burned is your labor for the kingdom. So the things that you do in Jesus' name, the way you impact people's lives, the way you build upon the foundation that Christ has laid, God is going to judge those things. But since you are righteous, God is going to preserve you. So it's possible. Get the picture. That you can be a Christian and you can go hard for the Lord and do a whole bunch of nothing. But you genuinely saved and you genuinely been delivered from your sins. And when the judgment comes, fire going to come to judge you, but God going to rescue you. You just ain't going to have that much reward. That's the picture that he's given. But it's a picture that the righteous shall be delivered from judgment. But that doesn't mean you will not be judged. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Go to First Peter. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 verse 16. This is Peter. Like I say, he, he, he's going to add to this for us. Say, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it is first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them have, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. This is some heavy scripture here. He's giving the picture. He's painting the picture. That it's some people that's suffering. He's talking about the same thing that Paul was talking about. There's suffering going on in this world. He said, but those who suffer as a Christian, don't let them be ashamed. He's speaking to a persecuted people. Like if you're suffering because you're a believer, if that's the reason you're going through, if that's the reason people are attacking you, do not be ashamed. Because... But rather, he said, let them glorify God on this behalf. Why? He said, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. So he's giving a picture that judgment is coming. And this judgment will begin with the household of God. The people of faith is whom God put his eyes on first when he judges the world. So it starts with us. That's what he's saying. Judgment starts with us. The children of God, the people of God, will be judged. And he said they're going to be judged first. And watch what he said. And if they be, if it begins at us in 17, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And the picture that he's painting is, is we're going to get judged. And God going to start with the church. And if he start bringing judgment with us, what are it going to look like for them people who don't not obey the gospel? But the thing I want you to understand is judgment is a part of our existence even though we quote unquote saved because a lot of people got the idea that when it's all said and done the only question we're going to have to answer is did you believe in Jesus and if you say yes you get to go into the kingdom all nice and all great and don't nothing else matter because 
Christ is going to judge the world. He ain't judging the church. That's a lie. Every single man shall be judged. Every single person has to give an account of what it is they've done in this body and how we lived our lives. Everybody. Saying I believe in Jesus does not exempt you from judgment. But in 18, Peter gives us a promise. And he says it negatively, but it is a promise. He says, and if the righteous shall scarcely be saved, that's deep. Like the righteous people are going to be saved from judgment. You're going to make it through the judgment. God going to take you out of judgment and bring you to himself. He's going to deliver you from that judgment. That judgment is not going to destroy you. The righteous. But he said, you're going to scarcely be saved. It's like it's going to be hard for you to get in there. That's the righteous. And and, and when I say say negatively, he used that to condemn the rest of the world. It's like if the righteous barely make it, what the rest of the world is going to do? And this this messed my mind up because church folks mess us up real bad. Because we got the picture now where he didn't say, if they can make it, I know I can get in. Because the church don't live like nothing. Like, man, if I know if bro, bro, Christian, he going to heaven. Man, ain't no way God going to keep me out. And Peter got a reverse. It's like, it's some real righteous dudes. They barely going to make it. So ain't no way you got hope. But that's the picture. But the hope is that once we stand, if you're standing as a righteous man, God's going to deliver you from that judgment. You're going to be saved. You're going to be rescued in the day of judgment. And that rescue, and like I say, it's not from judgment in the sense of God ain't going to let nobody judge you or God himself is not going to judge you. It's mean once you're being judged, God going to bring you through it. You will be rescued from all the fire and the damnation that going to come out in judgment. He going to get you out of it. The righteous are scarcely saved. It's like it's folks that are going to be working for the kingdom. Their works are going to be destroyed, but they, they themselves, their soul ain't going to suffer loss. Like Jesus is going to be saying, man, you was out there preaching. You were doing your thing. You ain't do about nothing. But you were living right though, brother. You come on in <laughs> saying you, you ain't do nothing for real. I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> but you come on. <laughs> that heavy. That's scary, man. <laughs> Just folk think they doing something. They put a bumper sticker. I'm saying, I'm serving the Lord. Jesus, like, man, you ain't did nothing. <laughs> So we get delivered, we get rescued from judgment. I want y'all to make sure we understand that. We might talk about this a little deeper. That does not mean that you're not going to be judged. That just means you're going to make it. The judgment ain't going to kill you. And we get another promise in that in that way. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. What we saved from. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. It says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
This is a beautiful picture. You didn't deserve it. You were the enemies of God, or what he referred to you as. It said, but Christ died for you. Christ died for the ungodly. But the purpose of his death was to reconcile us back to God. And the picture he painted is now that we're reconciled back to God, and in his death that brought us to him, he said, much more by his life shall we be rescued from death. Now we be rescued. So God, since he died to get you to him, now in his life you should have even more hope that he going to make sure that you make it through. And what he going to save you from in verse 9? He said, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So there's some wrath that is coming. And that word wrath there, I like the word. I like the Hebrew expression of it a little better. Now, Hebrew give more pictures and concrete words than the Greek. In the Greek, it, it means to to be disturbed or to be angered or be stirred up on the inside, ready to explode. And so we're going to be saved from that. In the Hebrew, it means the flaring of the nostrils. That's what the word means, that wrath. Y'all haven't seen it before. All of us, well, most of us got big old fat noses around here. And you see somebody get mad. <laughs> and that's what he's saying he's going to save you from. When God get the flare in his nostrils up, getting his oxygen ready, we're going to be delivered from that. So you're going to be making escape from judgment. And in that escaping from judgment, God is going to save you from wrath. That there's wrath to come. There's punishment to come. And because of Christ's life, you ain't got to worry about that. So you get saved from judgment. That don't mean you ain't going to be judged. It means that once the final wrath comes, you ain't going to make it. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's start at verse 9. Talking about the people testifying about how good the Thessalonians were. It says, for they that themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turn to God from serving idols, how you turn from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait from his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. They like said, this is the picture of the Thessalonian salvation. Say so they turned from serving idols to serve the living God. So they repented, turned from idols to God, and in their turning to God, they said, now you wait from the son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. So in that turning, now they're in a position of waiting. Christ is coming back. They're getting ready for that. And he says that you have been delivered, been delivered from the wrath to come. So Jesus delivered you from the wrath to come. There is no wrath for a believer. There is no damnation for a believer. We have been saved from that. So if you somebody ever asks you, which they won't, because we're in the South and people think they understand what the word saved means, what are you saved from? You can tell them, I'm saved from wrath. The wrath of God will not be on me. Sorry, we experienced technical difficulties which resulted in loss of recorded audio. Please forgive us for the inconvenience. Thank you for your patience and understanding. <laughs> 